working? Yeah, I'm working. Uh, Andrew just asked me to update y'all on our capital campaign again. Um, uh, so, so far we're at uh, just, a, just a little under $43,000 for the campaign. The campaign goes through December 5th. Um, so that's about halfway from our, what our need or goal was. So, amen, we're, we're, getting, we're getting along. The um, matching gift campaign is just a little under $20,000. That goal was for twenty-five. So, and that goes through Thanksgiving. So you still have a few more days if you can contribute to the matching gift campaign. Every dollar you give up to $25,000 will be matched. So um, that would be huge. Um, also want to just, and I think we all understand this, but I want to just say it so, it's, so, so we're clear. Our tithes are used for the general purpose of running our church and are separate and apart what we're asking in terms of a capital gift campaign. The capital gift campaign is specifically funds that we're going to be using to try to replace the boiler, which has to be done. Uh, we're being told that that boiler is not going to make it through this winter. So if, if we don't have the funds to replace it, we're all going to be very cold. <laughs> so um, I just ask you to be prayerful in that, uh, thoughtful, uh, you know, just um, come before the Lord and think about what it is that uh, he would have you do with your funds. Uh, uh, over and above what you're tithing to support the church. Um, and uh, just thank you for all you guys are doing. You know, without the support of the entire body, we won't be able to run this. So thank you. Thank you, buddy. And thank you, guys. Well, we're wrapping up today a series we have been working on, and I can't believe this God stuff because... And as we looked at this, there's a number of things that we wrestle through, and our culture wrestles through a number of things. And so we talked about issues of politics and, and how people wrestle with issues of politics. And they say, I can't believe this God stuff. And they walk through areas of politics, and they said, well, you hold this position, or the church pushes, seems to push this direction and push this stuff. I'm just backing up because I'm not interested. I'm not going to go there. I'm not, I'm not there. I don't quite get it. I'm out. We talked about some of the LBGTQ things and, and that kind of stuff. And again, as our culture looks at where things are and as people look at where the church is and, and how the church functions and interacts, they say, listen, I just, I don't like, I'm not comfortable, I'm not ready to go there. I think there are other things should be happening. I think we should process other ways. I'm just kind of stepping back and I'm out. And then there are other things that people look at and they say, listen, I'm, I've just kind of fallen out of the routine. I'm tired. You know, I, I've just kind of faded out. Other people say, listen, I've been hurt, I've been offended, other things have happened in the context of the church, I'm tapping out, I'm done, gone, see you later. And then other people say, listen, I just don't quite, quite get God. God confuses me, and I look at pain and hurt and suffering and other stuff in the world, and I don't understand all these things, and so for that reason, I don't get God, I, I'm frustrated with God, I don't like how all this stuff works, and I think God should do things differently, so... Tapping out, I'm done. And I would encourage you to kind of go back over to the other four messages we've talked about in this series and work through in these series and you'll hear some of the further thoughts and how we have walked through some of those things and answered some of those questions. But today I want to kind of wrap it up and, and as you're going to see on your notes and also you'll see on the screen, there's two big areas that I want us to think about and I want to encourage you to process through some things as we interact with and as we respond both to those in the church but also with those outside of the church who are carrying the various issues that we're talking about because there's ways that we can respond and there's ways that we probably shouldn't respond. So I want to look at two sets of things today. I want to talk about things that I need to look at within myself and then things that I need to consider as I interact with others. So let's finish up, and, but let's go to the Word, go to the Lord, and a quick word of prayer, and then we'll start to jump through stuff. Father, I just want to ask that you would be with us this morning as we look at your Word and as we just consider these two last parts to this whole question of what it means for us as we will wrestle through things, own things, but then, Lord, also as we prepare to interact with both those that are in the church and those who are outside. So that, Father, we interact and function, respond in ways that give you glory and in ways that are beneficial for others to hear. 
Father, I would ask that you would guide our time. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's deal with the first thing first. Things I need to look at within myself. Oftentimes I need to look at things within me before I start to ask, how then do I interact around? Because how I interact around oftentimes flows out of who I am, what I'm thinking, the attitudes, and all that kind of stuff that bubbles up within inside of me and then starts to pour out in other areas. So let's deal with the first one. Learn grace and humility. Learn grace and humility. This is huge. We need to learn to interact and and. But if we're going to do that, we need to learn that ourselves. Grace and humility. I want to go to, to Jesus, and I want to look at something here with Jesus and, and the way that Jesus chose to conduct himself and carry himself. And as we're looking in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. And it says, adopt the same attitudes as that of Jesus Christ. This is something we need to develop. This is something that we need to look at within ourselves. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, Jesus, God in the flesh, and in the structure of the, of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus chose to submit himself to the Father. And he chose a pathway of humility. And then as he came to us, what did he do? He didn't come in and say, I'm here! Listen and obey! That's not the path he chose. He came, and he came humbly. He came as a servant. He came graciously. He came kindly. Now, Jesus could have come, big steps, carrying a hammer, ready to wrap us over the head. He could have chosen that process. But that's not how he chose to come. That's not how he chose to reveal himself. Humility and grace. That's how Jesus functioned. He humbled himself to the Father. He chose to walk in the pathway that the Father set before him. And then he interacted with us with incredible, incredible grace. Those are things that we need to develop. Those are attitudes that we need to fold into our lives. It's really important. These are the things that when people kind of get in our face, people start to react to us in edgy ways, it's that humility and grace that needs to bubble up instead of other responses. So the first thing I would encourage you to do, learn grace and humility. Now, our culture is a cancel culture. It is. So when people have politics that other people don't like, they cancel them. They unfriend them. They unfollow them. They cross them out. They send out a scathing text message. They send out a scathing note. They throw it out into the ether of the great world wide web. I don't like you anymore. I think you're terrible. When people talk about cultural issues, gender issues, lifestyle issues, and all the other kind of stuff, and those conversations come up, and someone holds a position that someone else doesn't like, the cancel culture rolls in. This person is bad. This person is wrong. We should not listen to that person. We should throw away all of that person's stuff, and we should never, ever, ever remember that that person ever lived or breathed there. 
because they don't agree with us and we don't like them anymore. We need to be careful that we don't do the same thing. We just really need to be careful of that. I still, I don't remember if it's that Geico commercial, but the ladies are talking and she's talking to her friend. She goes, I cancel you. I unfriend you. It doesn't work that way. I unfriend you. Go. We, we need to really be careful that we don't mimic the culture, the attitudes, the methods of cultural interaction. I just don't see Jesus walking into settings and saying, I unfriend you, I cancel you, I no longer listen to you, go away. I just don't see that. Humility and grace. Let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Number two. Am I taking time to be educated and informed? Again, this is a big deal. Am I taking time to be educated and informed? Let's go to 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. Paul is talking to Timothy and he is encouraging. He's, um, we're kind of picking up in the midst of the conversation. He's talking about the suffering that he's going through and what he's enduring for the gospel. He says, For which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. He says, this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we also live with him. For if we endure, we also reign with him. And if we deny him, he he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remember them... Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. But catch this next part. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly handling the word of truth. We need to be students of the word, and as we are students of the word, we need to be diligent in how we apply that world to the culture that exists around us. And it's connected to the reality of the gospel. Now, in this process that we have walked through, we've walked through scripture. We've walked through things that are happening in our culture. We've talked about some of the frameworks, things that underlie that, and we talked about how the scriptures respond to some of that. Can I tell you, you don't need to be a pastor or a scholar or a deep theological thinker to do the things that we did. And I would encourage you to be students. Spend time in the Word. Listen to the things that are going on in our culture and then spend time in the Word listening and thinking to what God has to say about those things. Because what's going to happen is people are going to talk to you about the things that are happening in our world. You're going to go to the gym. You're going to go to Weight Watchers. You're going to go to work. You're going to go down to the post office. You're going to go, you're going to meet up with some friends and take a walk and take a hike. You're going to go down and sit at the beach. All sorts of things are going to take place in your world. And you're going to interact with your friends. You're going to interact with people that you've known for a long time. And you're going to interact with some people maybe you just met. And they're going to have questions. It behooves us as students of the word. It behooves us as followers of Jesus. Paul is in prison for the gospel. And as he is in prison for the gospel, why is he there? Because he's represented Jesus in his culture. 
And he's spoken the truth of Jesus to the events and the things that are happening in culture. We need to be attuned. It's not good for us just to react. To have something that blows across us, that we don't like, that makes us chilly or makes us angry, and then just go... That doesn't accomplish the glory of God. And, and that doesn't help someone to think through the things that are going on. We need to learn to be informed. We need to seek understanding, but in the context of Scripture. So that as people wrestle with things, we can say, well, listen, these are the things that are taking place, but this is also what the Bible has to say. And so as you think through the things that are taking place, what the Bible has to say, these are some suggestions that I would give you as you wrestle through what it means to be a person who honors God in light of the things that are taking place. This is what it means to honor Christ in the face of these challenges. We need to pursue getting educated, being informed. Now, I didn't say we need to go get a degree. Someone gave me a doctorate out in a four-year earlier today. I'm not interested in going to get a doctorate. I'm totally content with the education I've got as far as the formal education is concerned. But I learned early on that I need to be a lifelong learner. That I need to continue to be listening. I need to continue to be reading. I need to continue going to seminars and, and conferences that challenge me and stretch me. All through my ministry life, I've gone to things that have stretched me outside of my comfort zone, that have stretched me outside of my typical thinking zone. We need to be willing to stretch ourselves to learn and to grow. We need to be learners. We need to educate ourselves so that as people come, we can, we can be individuals who studied to show ourselves approved, correctly handling the word of truth and ready to give an answer to the challenges and the issues that are facing our culture today. Number three, is my identity in Jesus? You need to wrestle through this. Is your identity in Jesus? This is not like a little thing. This is huge, massive. This is a big deal. Because this really defines the, the, the framework, the, the, the filter that you're going to use in your life. And I would suggest to you, it's also really going to determine and dictate whether or not you're going to live in victory or you're going to live in defeat. Your identity is huge. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, now I'm just pause here. One word, pause. In the discussion guides for Life Group this week, I've encouraged you to go back and read chapter 11. You need to read chapter 11 because chapter 11 speaks into the therefore. And what do we see in chapter 11? It's the great hall of fame of faith. And we see people who have chosen to walk with God, to honor God, and who have chosen to live their identity with the reality that God is at work, that God is working through history, and they have chosen to align themselves with God and with what God is doing in history. And so as they have walked this journey, they have not chosen to walk the journey of life to accumulate, to develop, and to aspire for human earthly pursuits. They have chosen to live their lives to honor God and to pursue the things that God is seeking to accomplish in the course of history. Because their identity was wrapped up in God and with what God is seeking to do. Instead of wrapped up in our culture or wrapped up in their community or wrapped up in themselves. They were focused and wrapped up in pursuing God's 
agenda in history. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And again, we talk about those that have gone before, but we also talk about Jesus. What did Jesus pursue? Did Jesus pursue a really amazing woodworking business? Did he seek to franchise it? Did Jesus see, say, you know, I want to have a family and grandkids and No. Jesus said, I am here to fulfill the agenda that God has given me. And that agenda is to go to the cross, take mankind's sin upon myself so that everyone can be forgiven. So that everyone has the opportunity to know forgiveness. My agenda, my mission is to come and take the punishment of everyone's sin upon myself so that everyone has the opportunity to be reconciled and have a relationship with the Father. I have chosen to come and be the doorway through which others can walk to know God. And everything else and all other opportunities and all other possibilities got set aside. Because his identity and his focus was in honoring the Father and fulfilling the Father's agenda for his life. So he set his eyes to the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Because you and I, we do get beat up. We do get hammered. And we are motivated at different times to just throw in a towel, to quit, and to say, forget it. I'm just going to go home. I'm going to take my cards, my toys, my games, and I'm just going to go home. I'm done. Tapping out. I'm finished. I quit. And he's saying, consider Jesus. Look at Jesus and look at those who have also gone before. Who didn't throw in a towel, who didn't quit, but stayed focused on their call and mission from God. And my friends, you have a call and mission from God. That's part of what we're going to talk about in class three. Talking about discovering your gifting, your uniqueness, the special ways that God has shaped you. And i got to tell you something. It's not just pastors or missionaries or people that we look at that do special ministry stuff that have a calling from God. Every single one of us have a calling from God. There's not a one of us who does not have a calling from God to respond to. And your calling from God is just as important as my calling. Each of us has been commissioned and gifted from God. If you're in Christ, you have been gifted by God to serve him and to serve the body of Christ and to do ministry. And the challenge is to identify ourselves with Jesus and not throw in the towel. But I also want to say this. It's as we learn to focus on Jesus and keep our eyes on Jesus that we also learn to start having victory over areas of sin. When we identify ourselves with our sin, we are giving sin the upper hand. But when we identify with Jesus, we are identifying the one for whom we live. We're identifying the one who has authority. We're identifying the one who has standing in our lives. Understanding and pursuing your identity with Christ is huge. This is not a little deal. This is a big deal. Is my identity 
in Jesus. All throughout our culture. All sorts of identity stuff is going on. It's not new. It just seems to be ramped up in a more intense way today. Is your identity in Jesus? Well, let's talk about how we interact with or consider how I interact with others. Three things to consider. Number one, through my words and actions, am I helping to keep channels of communication open? This is not a little deal. This is a big deal. You ever have someone talk to you, and as they talk to you, the way that they interact with you, you just shut down? You ever have that happen? Or, or maybe you're, watching, you're, you're, you're sitting and watching a conversation. You're sitting and watching an interaction. And as you watch that interaction take place, you're watching one person talk to another person, and you're just seeing the one person that's doing a lot of the talking, and you're seeing them being animated. You're seeing them being engaged. And then you're watching the other person who's on the receiving end, and you just see the, the, the cupboards closed, the doors get locked, the doors shut up, the the carpets get rolled up, the sidewalk gets rolled up, and everything kind of gets bottled up. We don't want to do that. We really don't want to do that in our interactions with people. We don't want to create walls. We don't want to create barriers and blocks. And we don't want to just shut people out. And we don't want to shut people down. So through my words and actions, am I helping to keep the channels of communication open? Now, the gospel is offensive. Okay, the gospel is offensive. So the key here is that if the gospel is offensive, let the gospel be offensive because the gospel says to people, you're sinning. Your choices, your actions, they are sin, and that's offensive to God, and that separates you from God. That's not a pleasant message to give. So if the issue is going on, get in the way of the message of the gospel, then you are the one who's causing the offense instead of allowing the gospel to be the offense. Now, a number of verses to look at here, and I think they're kind of fun. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, they're actually two different statements but related. But it says, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. i got to tell you, I really got the meaning of this playing basketball. I'm playing basketball. I was probably 22, 23 at the time. And I'm down at the courts with my buddy, and it's like Tuesday, Wednesday night, open court, and I just fouled this guy big time. I just hammered him. Now, I wasn't intending to, but oftentimes you don't intend to foul a guy but I just hammered him big time. And he got pretty upset. Now, I had one of two choices. I could have kind of like, man, suck it up. You're just such a weenie. You know, we're just playing a game. You know, I, I could have reacted that way and that would have just added some fuel to the fire. And I just said, hey, sorry, I didn't really mean that. Sorry about that. I mean, it didn't mean to fail you. Fail you. It was amazing. It was just instinctive to react that way totally diffused the entire situation. Airs out of the tire. Whole thing's deflated. It's amazing, a soft answer, how it turns away wrath. And learning to not react with anger when something shows up that we don't like. But I also love what the next verse says. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. Are we managing our tongue? Are we managing how we choose to interact? Are we managing the things we say, the tone of voice, the attitude we communicate? Colossians, chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. 
so that I may make it known as I should, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Managing ourselves. We can add fuel to the fire. We can agitate and stir it up. Or we can speak the truth with grace. Do you want to win the argument or do you want to see a life transformed? Sometimes those are two different things. And sometimes you don't accomplish one by accomplishing the other. You don't always win the argument. Sometimes you just got to be willing to let another person kind of dominate. Speak the truth, let them rant and rave. Speak the truth, let them pontificate. Speak the truth, and let them get loud. We don't always need to win the argument. The goal is to lead them to a point of transformation. The goal is to lead them to a point where they will embrace Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. I love this. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace and holiness. Without those things, it's going to be tough for people to see the Lord. Therefore, we need to really ask, are my actions, my words, my reactions, are they helping to keep the channels of communication open or are they shutting things down? Am I interacting in a way that is enabling that person to hear me? Or am I interacting in a way that says to them, just, just ignore them. Don't, you don't need to listen. This is something we need to think about as we interact with others. Number two, I think this is a big deal, and I think we wrestle with this in our culture. Loving someone does not mean identifying with their choices. We have been told today in our culture that we cannot agree to disagree. This has started years ago. It's not current just to today. This has started years ago. And years ago, we've started this whole conversation, and we've said, listen, it's not just a matter of you acknowledging things that are taking place in my life. It's not just a matter of you acknowledging the reality of my worldviews, my perspectives, my ideas. Our culture has been saying that you need to affirm my worldviews. You need to affirm my ideas. You need to affirm my thoughts for them to be recognized. And that's not true. We do not need to identify with people's life choices to love them. We don't need to enter into people's life choices to love them. I love what what Jesus said about himself. Matthew 11, verses 18 and 19. He said, for, the son, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. Verse 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Here's what I want you to see. 
The world was watching and looking at Jesus, and the world said this, here's a guy who is friend with tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors and the sinners enjoyed being around Jesus. They liked being around Jesus. And Jesus spent time with them. He loved them. But he didn't participate with them. See, there's a distinction. Loving somebody does not mean I need to participate with them. But we do need to love. Jesus didn't annex himself off from or block himself off from people that were far from God. No, Jesus interacted with and spent a lot of time with people that were far from God. He just didn't enter into their choices that brought them far from God. But he chose to love them. And he chose to have a relationship. Let's make it practical. There's a guy who's a, a regular drunk. Do I need to love that person? And does loving that person mean... I go to the bar with them and keep on tipping them back as they keep on tipping them back? No. It doesn't mean I need to do that at all. I can never ever touch a bottle. I can never ever touch a glass of alcohol and still love a person who's wrestling with it. We need to learn to love people, but it doesn't mean we have to identify with the choices they make. For ourselves. We just need to look at the example of Jesus. Jesus modeled it wonderfully. Number three, focus on the gospel, not behavior management. This is huge. Again, you've heard me jump up and down on the moral majority. This is the big area that I wrestle with in that whole thing. Focus on the gospel, not behavior management. A number of verses to look at. I'm going to go to Ezekiel, and there's two areas in, two areas in Ezekiel where this is talked about. And the first area is connected to the aspects of Ezekiel's calling from God. And we see it in chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. God is speaking to Ezekiel. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the, over the house of Israel, when you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person and he doesn't turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will be rescued, but you will have rescued yourself. Now he unpacks this a little bit further at the end of Ezekiel, later on in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 to 9. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and tell them, Suppose I bring the sword against the land, and the people of that land select a man from among them, appointing him as their watchman. And suppose he sees the sword coming against the land and blows his ram's horn to warn the people. He's the lookout. Everybody, sword's coming. Danger. Then, if anyone hears the sound of the ram's horn but ignores the warning and a sword comes and takes him away, his death will be his own fault. Since he heard the sound of the ram's horn but ignored the warning, his death is his own fault. If he, is, if he has taken the warning, he would have saved his life. However, 
Suppose the watchman sees the sword coming but doesn't blow the ram's horn so that the people aren't warned and the sword comes and takes away their lives. Then they have been taken away because of their iniquity, but but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. For as you, as for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die, but you do not speak out to warn him about his way, that wicked person will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person to turn away from his from his way, and he doesn't turn from it, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. Now, he's giving the warning. And in the gospel is the warning. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. We used this and we looked at this a few weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. I want to come back. My intent is not to focus on all the list of sin, but I want you to recognize the list of sin. I want you to see the list of sin because it stands out as we get to the last verse. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. But catch this next verse, because this is key. And some of you used to be like that. But catch the process and catch what brought the transformation. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So often in our culture, we have things that take place and we don't like those things. And so we react to those things and we try to do things that block those things from our view. We do things to try to eliminate those things from our culture. We do things to get rid of those things because we don't like those things. And in that process, what we are practicing is behavior modification. But that doesn't take those things away. It might drive them underground. It might push them out of our particular area of view, but it doesn't change the reality that those things are doing happening and that those individuals that are doing those things are still doing those things. We need to be calling people to know Jesus. It's as we call people to know Jesus that transformation takes place in someone's life. It's as a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus that Jesus comes in and takes up residence and the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And then as the Holy Spirit starts to work in a person's life, that's when transformation takes place because as the Holy Spirit starts to work, the Holy Spirit keeps on touching areas in their life that they need to address and that they need to bring into conformity with what it means to walk with God, with what it means to live in righteousness, with what it means to honor God through their lives. And what begins to take place is their lives start to become transformed and they start to shift from those ways that they used to live and they start to shift to those places where God wants them to be so that they can live in fellowship and in harmony with God the way they have, they have chosen in the way that God wants them to walk with them in. That's where transformation takes place. It takes place as an outworking of the gospel. Now go back over history a little bit and go back and look at some of the revivals. The evangelists would come to town or the revival would come to the city. It would come to the community. And as people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, people would respond, people would put their faith and trust in Jesus, and amazing things happened. All of the sin industry shut down. Bars closed, brothels closed. All that stuff that was connected to sin industry started to go out of business. Why? Is it because the the evangelist is up there saying, you need to stop and we need to shut this down? 
No, those things shut down because people stopped going to those places and people stopped frequenting those places. Why? Because Jesus was working in people's hearts and Jesus was transforming people through the work and through the power of the gospel. Because people were coming to know Jesus as their Savior, and as they were coming to know Jesus as their Savior, their lives were being transformed by the work of God from the inside out. When you see things in our culture you don't like, don't get on a soapbox. Don't start to pontificate about how terrible those things are. Don't write a blog or post it on your Facebook page and rant and rave. Share the gospel. Communicate the hope of Christ. Help people to recognize that those areas are offensive to God and that God loves them and God wants a relationship with them and God wants to draw them to himself. Take time to call people into a relationship with Jesus. It's through the gospel that things ultimately get transformed. Not through our ranting and raving. I would suggest to you that you and I are also called to be watchmen. To graciously communicate truth and call people to a relationship with Jesus. But our job is not to rail against people. Our job is not to sit there and be society's conscience. Our job is not to Rant and rave because things are taking place that we dislike. Our job is to point people to Jesus and call people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as people come to Jesus, their lives get changed. And our world gets transformed. How we interact with our culture is huge. And how we choose to function as followers of Jesus is equally significant. And I found this overwhelmingly. It seldom takes place on the multitudes level. It takes place one person at a time. It overwhelmingly happens one conversation at a time. It happens through graciousness, honesty, and living out the integrity of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you for the goodness that you pour out to us in Jesus. And I want to say thank you for the amazing ways that you reveal yourself and show yourself to us. Father, as a a church family, Father, as individuals who are seeking to walk and live a journey, Lord, I would ask that you would go before us. Father, this morning we talked about six areas of application and things that we can apply in our lives to better manage ourselves, but also to better interact with our culture in a way that allows us to be heard, but also allows us also to speak the truth of Jesus. Not trying to demand or dictate change, but helping people to be transformed through relationship with you. Father, I'd ask that you would be with us and help us each as we apply these things for your glory, for your honor, but Lord, also for our transformation so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In Luke 23, 34, this is Jesus on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus' example, even there on the cross, shows us the kind of heart that we should have and how we should respond to other people. Jesus' response there impacts everyone in the room. If you have believed in Jesus, that affects our hearts. We should be filled with the same kind of humility and grace that Jesus had on the cross when he was being 
unjustly murdered for, for being the son of God. We need to have that kind of grace and humility that affects our hearts because we should want to know this Jesus more. And then it affects, or it should, how we react to other people. Not about winning the argument, not about proving that we're right. It's, man, Jesus forgave me on the cross. I want you to know him. Jesus there on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Him dying to save you and me should affect our inward hearts than how we are responding to other people. If you've believed in Jesus, you're here today. Look over this list. Where do you need to work? Is it your identity? Is it being educated, informed, knowing what God's word said? Is it being gracious and humble? What do you need to work on? And if you are here and you have not believed in Jesus... The warning is clear in scripture. There is one true God. We have all rebelled against him in our hearts. We are accountable before him. There is a serious punishment. We are saved by trusting that Jesus is the one true son of God who died on the cross and rose again so we can be forgiven if we trust in him. That is the warning that is true of all of us. If you have questions on that, come talk to myself or Pastor Andrew. Write in the connect card. Don't let that go, because we will be all standing before God one day. So let us pray. We're going to pray for our own hearts right now. We're also going to pray for the offering. So as the offering passes by you, uh, if you would like, you can uh, uh, donate or, or give money to support the mission of the church and the missionary so that the word of God, the gospel, can go out to people who have never heard of this warning before. So as the plate passes you, we will stand and we will praise the great God who provides grace and forgiveness. So let us pray. Lord, I pray that you will please mold my heart and reform my heart so that I am filled with grace and humility and boldness. Help me and help every believer here to follow your example. Thank you that you don't give up on us when we fail at following your example. Lord, if there's anyone here here physically or watching us online, I pray you'll be working in their hearts so they will trust in you as their one and only Savior. God, I, I thank you for who you are. In, in your name, Jesus, amen.